Hello. How's Fred? Fred's still sleeping. Oh, that's amazing. So I'm just going to crack on with uh, this morning's podcast then. I'm Asam, and I believe, Deb's wild, that this is episode 23 of This Might Be Okay. Is it that is. correct? Yeah, 23. Excellent, excellent. Good morning, Debs. How are we? I'm good, thank yeah? you. I've had a very, um, very busy okay. week. But, um, yeah, it's been an interesting Ooh. one. Ooh. Is that, like, interesting I can probe, or is that interesting yeah, I can't probe? you can probe. Well, you con- can probe. consider that a probe in whatever orifice <laughs> you want it in. Could you let us know why it's been well, interesting? Well, you know I've been doing some secret things behind the scenes, and whenever the band are doing anything, I kind of go off radar and I'm mm-hmm. quite and cryptic. So we had um, a single release yesterday, but it was very exciting because it launched at midnight Friday mm. from the International Space Station. Oh, I Station. saw that. Yes. Yeah, it was so cool. It was pretty cool. Um, so the whole week's been gearing up to that, really, getting ready for that. Um, I also did a bit of weird self-preservation in... I, you know, you've known me well enough, face on to know that I... Uh, you know, I like I like certain mm-hmm. things at yep. certain you know, and um, and I was doing some sort of self care this week of going. Actually, this isn't working for me. So I've I've been doing some very, I don't know. Some I've done some writing, I've done some reading, and I've been working on myself, as people say. But um, yeah, I've done some good stuff and a lot of work and a lot of watching. So I feel ready for this this morning. Splendid. Yeah. But the work thing's been really great because it's it's lovely watching something go out in the world and watching the response. So, yeah, that was excellent. May I ask? Apparently, my yeah. wife signed a non-disclosure agreement, right? Is that connected? And is, therefore, is... you've just answered your own question. Right. What's an NDA okay, so mean? I can't really talk about that anymore. <laughs> this, is just, this is just terrible. Like, I'm, I literally feel like I'm living in Kafka's house. Because, like, I'm like, hey, Clara. And she's like, shut up, Ace, I can't talk about it. And I'm just like, this is insane. Like, how can we be married and you have, like, done something that is so secretive that, like, I can't even... I can't even open my mouth, and you just did the same thing. Then you cut me off. I'm literally like, you know, the little emoji with yeah. the zip. That, fine, that's fine. Me. I'm going to move on very swiftly. Mr. Leon Butler, <laughs> good morning, sir. You've had a meeting already this morning. Are you a bit hungover as well? And I'm very hungover as well, so I apologise for my dulcet tones. Oh, we like we like the dulcet tones. Hey, listen, mate, can I ask you? Because uh, I've I have the feeling that all of my mates in the UK, um, they're Whatever they thought they were drinking during lockdown, it's kind of gone up by 10% in the last couple of weeks. Is it the same for you, would you say? Um, I was pretty good, well behaved in lockdown. I, I enjoyed it, actually. Yes. But, but now I do have one blowout every two weeks, and last night was the night. Nice. We went to every- Wales yesterday. We had to go and see an actress. Okay. In Cardiff. It's a poor Welsh accent, but... So we... We uh, were very professional, and on the way home, we started drinking on the train. Old school style. Like it. So, Interesting. Um, Interesting. Cardiff, Those Cardiff was, were the days, drinking on a train. Yeah, I know. It was, it was, I mean, it was an empty train, but it was still fun. Hmm. But Fred... Uh, it's very expensive, this drinking malarkey, when you get out of the lockdown, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Pubs are expensive, so I like the idea of I think there's going to be. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look at their bank balances in two or three months and go, what just happened? Because we've all been locked up for like 
14 months. There's nowhere to spend, like, okay, unless you're an internet spender and you go on Amazon or wherever and order stuff all week, most of us who don't do that, we haven't really spent any money in the last year because like, you can't even go to a restaurant or a bar, so where are you going to spend money? But I think we're all going to make up for that next three months. Yeah, I did spend a lot on the dentist, it turns out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's like last year's holiday money went on three visits to dental yeah, surgery. Anyway. Excellent. Right, well, listen, um, Mr. Butler, I'm going to start with you. Um, what have you watched? Hey, wait, no. wait. What's your week been like, hey, Sam? Sorry? Have you had a good oh, week? Oh, wow. Um, oh, thanks for asking. I always forget <laughs> that I'm allowed to speak as well. I'm not just a host. Um, how's my week been? It's been all right. It's it's been all right. I'm I'm finding I've found a uh, I found an emotional equilibrium and balance to deal with the um, uh, unpredictability of the business and the world that we that the three of us operate in. I think that um it's been a gradual process of and I'm gonna now throw this out to the two of you because it's a good question to ask you and I'll start with Leon, um, but. For me, what I've, what I've found this week is that actually I don't get high with the highs and I don't get low with the lows. I've, I've found a middle ground with projects where I just focus on the work. And I know I've said this before, but internally you can't help but be emotionally get excited by something and then be disappointed if the thing doesn't happen. Um, and I've tried, re because I realise how unpredictable it is, and so I've tried really hard to do that. And by doing that, I found this week that I had a really good week because I had some, not bad news, but I had some disappointments early on in the week, and they didn't knock my, um, my workflow. And then yesterday, I had something really nice and lovely and fun, um, and it was really unexpected, but it didn't, like, I didn't find myself feeling like I should celebrate last night, if that makes sense. And it was quite a, it was quite an epiphany for me um, last night when I was kind of sat around going, wow, you've changed. Like, you're not, you didn't, you didn't want to throw yourself off a bridge at the, at the start of the week. And you don't think you're the king of the world tonight. So maybe you're, you're maturing into the skin that you need to have to, um, to handle this business. Um, Leon, do you have you found that equilibrium, or do you do you, do you find yourself being moved emotionally? Yeah, I still struggle a little bit. I mean, I suppose it is maturity, but I, it's level of expectation. I think that's a key thing. So, but I think to be driven and to make it, you have to have high expectations, mm. but you have to manage them. Otherwise, you're going to be perennially disappointed. Mm. Um, so. Managing that expectation is something I've really learned the last few years. Okay. So therefore, yeah, there's no champagne moment in this business either. We've talked about before, you know, maybe the day the first press release is released or the night of the premiere, but generally there's always something to be waiting on or hoping to happen. Hmm. So the, the champagne moments are few or far between. But again... You know, we're here on this podcast and we're very lucky to be in the industry we are. So it's not like a depressing thing. But I just think I'm just, I'm a bit of a schoolboy when it comes to always wanting the best or hoping for the best. But I think expectation level, that's the thing to manage. Yeah. 
But I think it's, it's a tight balance, though, because if you... You know, I speak to my mum and she goes, don't expect anything from anybody. And I'm like, well, no, hold on, that's negative. Yeah, like you can't be that cynical either. No, but I suppose when you're in your 70s, that's kind of, you've seen it all before and you, you know the end to every story, as my mum says. But it's just, yeah, it's, it's that balance between cynicism and positivity. And well, that. you need hope, don't you? You need yeah. hope. Without hope, none of us can carry on. That's my, I know it sounds quite sort of, facile in a way but I think hope is the root of what gets us up every morning it's the, yeah. it's the hope of, of of what the day can bring or what you can bring to the day um, so yeah and I, I think you need that but I think expectation management is just massively massively challenging in this business I had a you know we had a call six weeks ago and I'll say it now because now I don't care Six weeks ago, we had a call with a massive studio and they said, you'll have an offer on Tuesday. We love this. We've not heard from them since. So, you know, like, go on, wrap your heads around that. And it wasn't a call with, like, a development executive. It was a call with the senior vice president of the American studio. So the, the SVP on a call with the development execs and with the lawyers goes, you'll have an offer on Tuesday. We're not heard from them since. So, <laughs> you meant to navigate. No, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Stuff like that. You end up in a situation where you just go, right, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to not believe anything. Like my agent says, he says, you know, Asan, when you stood on set, you can believe it's happening. But until then, don't believe it's happening. And then, it, yeah, know. it's a hard balance because then you don't trust anyone or anything. No, exactly. Exactly. Business-wise, I don't. I don't trust anyone or anything. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, my, I've got a friend who thinks it's really sad that I say I don't trust anyone. And I just think I don't mean to come across as a cynic. It's just me being a realist going, I just depend on myself. Mm. And that's about as much as I can, you know, promise. <laughs> I think you're right, though. Both of you, managing expectations is dead important. And hope, I, I, on a personal level... In family life, I think I've repeated that phrase more than any in the last three years, that hope is all you've got. <laughs> and it sounds, again, quite depressing, but it's just the reality, isn't but it? I, of, you know, it's a good, I, I think it's, a good yeah, thing I think well. it's important to... I, I think hope is a very important tool in the makeup of any self-employed creative person, yeah? I think you have to have in your makeup natural hope. I know that we're all cynical on some level and this conversation can be sound cynical and be framed in a cynical way, but you can easily flip it and go, there's no way that us three choose the paths we've chosen for our lives if we aren't born with hope and live with it every single day. Because if we didn't have that, there's a lot of other places and a lot of other journeys that I think we would have ended up taking. Taking Even now, I think that without hope, the three of us would probably take a different path. Because it ain't easy to... That's the other thing that I'm learning is that at the beginning, you just want to get into the business. And then when you get in, all you want is to be a bit recognised, to, to earn a bit of money. And then the point is that as you climb up the ladder, you realise the massive uncertainty exists at every damn level. So the hope is not just 
entry-level material. The hope is something that, you know, I expect that with the exception of the 0.01% at the very, very top in Hollywood and at the very, very top in television, middle level, everybody lives with hope. Idris got to live with hope. Like, you know, your, your career is... Uh, um, you're only as good as your last thing. And, you know, if your last thing wasn't a hit and there's some hot new thing, you feel pressure. You suddenly, you got to go read for a part rather than people just calling you up and giving you the part. So I think it it extends across the board. And I think that it isn't, I know it can sound cynical, but I think that there's a, a positive spin on it too. I think also we should mention the fact we've said before you know talent luck timing all of that we're not talking about obviously blind hope because there still are those people who just sit there thinking somebody's going to knock on their yeah door. no Do you know what i mean no than, no yeah. hope is a and hope as a bright like hope yeah. as a byproduct of hard work yeah. is yeah, what i'm talking exactly. about hope comes from putting so many hours into something that you begin to have a belief in your own innate ability like i, I think that there's a you know I've always said this, but the number of writers I've met who've never finished something blows my mind. You're not a writer, bro. Don't don't say you're a writer, mm. bro. You're not finish the thing. Yeah. When you finish the thing, you print it, and it's gone out into the world, and you've been rejected, and you've gone through that process ten times, you're a writer. But whilst you're sat in your bedroom writing four and a half chapters and then moving on to the next idea, it's, uh, it, the, my issue with that is that it belittles the hard workers if that makes sense um i want to ask leon something as i just chime in go. with a point that that thing you just said about the six weeks ago we'll call you we'll get the deal and nothing happened obviously we've had that in the music industry non-stop i had a meeting last january or february with my book publishers to talk about the next chapter in the next edition and turned up with you know whatever 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 and that Ended exactly the same, Asan, with, yeah, this is amazing, let's move it forward, we'll be in touch, and I haven't heard from them since, mm. so that's 15 months. But, Leon, have you had that? Yeah, many times, particularly about writing projects, so... Um, and you can kind of sniff the bullshit, and that's, that's the thing that goes back to the expectation, is that you end up realising that until there's a contract, or like Asan says, until the day you're on set, it's all bullshit. But in the phone calls and the development meetings, you've still got to sort of give that positive vibe. Yeah. But I had it the other day. I mean, Randy Jackson, you know, the guy from American Idol. Mm. Um, I was on some random call with him about a chap called Michael X, who was based in Notting Hill in the 50s and 60s and got killed off by the CIA. It's a great project. But three years ago, I said to the writer and his agent, and we need to spend some development money on this. The script mm. needs rewriting, the Bible needs doing properly. And three years later, I'm on the phone to Randy Jackson, and it's the same shit. No one wants to pay. So in the end, you're like, yeah, let's do this, and you know, let's get Idris involved, and let's do this, and let's do that, and no one's going to pay the money. So actually, it's a crock of shit. Mm. See, that's interesting, again, what you just said, because here's the thing. When I sat in that office and they said, let's move this along, and perhaps, obviously, Asan could speak for himself, but I'm sure he felt that offer was coming. 
I didn't sort of sniff out any kind of this isn't going to happen. But when it didn't happen, I'm like, yeah, of course it didn't happen. It's like those disappointments are not all that unexpected, but they're still disappointments. And I think I need to manage my disappointments as well as my expectations. Mm. I'm I'm learning because I consider myself to be new to these um, situations and environments. So that was a fantastic lesson uh, to learn very, I feel I'm still so early in my career that that's a very early and great lesson to learn that you can be sat at a table with the biggest dick at the studio and he can say to you, I'm doing the thing and then you can never hear from him again. So, and there was an executive sat next to me. So he didn't just say it to me as a writer creator, he said it to another producer as well, a very experienced and very successful producer. Um, so, so you're going to call him out on it? You're going to email and chase? Well, me personally, I'm not going to do anything. I know that there will be a conversation had between the executives because there's there's politics involved now at the disrespect that people feel. Um, but that's a little bit above my pay grade. Uh, for me, the kind of instructive thing is just that you can say something so... You can say black and then do white and yeah you basically can hide a little bit because we did chase a couple of times and it was just it's in the system that kind of vibe it's with the this committee in la or that committee in la and it's just a little bit like yeah but on a positive note there's always something that happens every single week and i've been in this business for nine years full time however shit it is and however many disappointments and letdowns and blanks something good happens every single week and that's what keeps you going and i think also you 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 have to be um i'm i like the ratio of once a week i'm not convinced it's once a week i'd go with once every two or three weeks for me something happens that it's just like that's awesome super happy with that that's you know you need one of the it's it's one of those where i get one thing a month that is enough for the month that's kind of the way i view it if i had it once a week i think that'd be even better but maybe that's just a i need to have more experience because you're nine years properly in here um and i'm i'm maybe not that that far in hey can we talk about what we've watched and read and listened to now yes everybody yes. with me Excellent. i'm with you yeah deb's do we do line of duty first? Do we do it? Do we do it no. last? No, last. Fine. So I'm going to start with you. What have you watched? What have you listened to? What have you heard? Okay, uh, I have listened to Royal Blood's new yeah. album, which is quite upbeat for them. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I also listened to Mark Maron interview Daniel Kaluuya. What an interesting chap he is, by the way. I mean, he's so spiritual. It's very interesting. Um, I I took part in something when I was watching an online comedy show this week. It was Immersive TV. So they gave you the opportunity to be part of the audience, the virtual audience, but also to be part of the show. So I put myself up for that. So I ended up being a guest on a comedy show. And then when it finished, they rang me up and invited me back for the rest of the uh, 
the oh, series. So I'm going to be a yeah. So I'm going to be a guest on on that, which is fun. And then I watched Nomadland. <gasps> I know Leon was finishing it. I think last time we spoke, but yeah, I watched that. It's um, it's really great. But obviously, it's not. You can't ever say those kind of things that you enjoy watching because no. it's it's very depressing and but just so well done and yeah i i uh, thought that was great i binge watched starstruck a comedy series written and starring rose matafeo which i enjoyed it was fun and then as you will both know i watched line of duty finale and i should leave that there hanging in the ether hmm. so a lot of diverse things this week for me considering it's been very busy as well excellent well yeah. leon are you with me or have you run off somewhere no no i'm with you i, I had a big film weekend last weekend oh bank holiday I, I had two busy days and two quiet days and i must have been the last few years i've barely watched any movies which is terrible when you're in the business i've been sort of documentary obsessed but i mm. did sort of catch up with all the oscar and BAFTA nominated films, so well, Nomad Land inspired an idea for a new film. Actually, um, mm. I mean, Francis McMormon's shitting in a bucket was pretty depressing, but it was pretty good apart from that. And I do, I do get something out of those films. And also the Inaudi score. Well, it wasn't a score; they're all on his, they're all songs on his albums, but the music was brilliant. So that was inspirational. I finished I Care A Lot, which I loved. Mm-hmm. I've got an issue with it. Well, it wasn't so much me, the director of the Chelsea Cowboy had a massive issue with it. Go on, which I'd I, like to know what that is. For a minute. So, I really enjoyed it. Obviously, I can't, I couldn't bear her character. Um, you're not supposed to. And obviously, without any spoilers, well, we're going to spoil it. But it kind of it works out in the end. But the, but I really enjoyed it. I told my parents about it. They watched it and they really enjoyed it. But the director said, "We don't care about spoilers, do we?" Nope. This this yeah. is a if you let's just say it very quickly. This is a spoiler warning. If you've not seen I Care a lot and you think you're going to watch it, probably fast forward ten minutes. Now, Leon, go for it. So, her girlfriend, the kind of Hispanic, gorgeous yeah. chick. Yeah. She. Ben, the director, just couldn't go over the fact that she survived because he just thought it was total bullshit. He was totally into the film because it was like a 90s sort of type movie where... That's good shout, that. Yeah, it was kind of, you just, you lose yourself in an interesting premise and you just go with it. And I really felt that. The first time in years I've watched that I just sort of enjoyed uh, for what it was. And... Ben couldn't get over the fact that she survived because what was the point of it? If she'd have died, it'd have given Rosalind Pike's character more drive towards the end. I mean, it was only 10 minutes to go probably, but he, it killed the whole film for him and he really enjoyed it. And actually, I didn't really notice it that much, but it, does, it actually makes sense. It was pointless. There was no reason to keep her alive. Uh, and it would have given the last sort of 10 minutes a bit more, you know, higher stakes. Mm. Yeah, Depth. yeah. I'd not thought of that either, but absolutely. I've That's also been watching, I watched um, Riz Ahmed in uh, 
Sound of Metal, is it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Which again is a tough watch, like Nomadland. I mean, I Care A Lot was unique because it was a, a fun watch. But the Riz Ahmed film plus Nomadland and also I watched uh, A Promising Young Woman. I don't want to get into it, Asa. You really have yeah. to wow. <laughs> watching the good pickles. Yeah, and they're all tough watches actually. A Promising Young Woman, I thought, was good in part, slightly pretentious and slightly annoying, but I sort of enjoyed it. But they, but they're not. But I think a really good film isn't necessarily an easy watch. You know, we can watch our favourite films: Pulp Fiction, Heat, Jackie Brown. You know, Scarface, the usual kind of Shawshank Redemption. They're all easy watches, amazing stories. But I think the films that stay with you aren't easy watches. Mm. You know, like they are spiky and they do upset you and they do like annoy you, but they do stay with you. So yeah, I had a heavy weekend of watching, watching all as that. I've got no, as I've gotten older, I find myself needing to very carefully plan films based on moods, if that makes sense. I think that when I was younger, I could watch anything at any moment and it wouldn't really matter. Um, but now, if I'm not in the right frame of mind for something like Nomadland or, or Sound of Metal, I can't go near it because, you know, I'll just, I won't see the point. I think I've, I've, a part of me has absolutely outgrown um, art for the sake of art. I think that, you know, that's a polite way of saying that. There's a lot of stuff that I watch and I go, well, you know, that feels like misery porn to me. Like, I know that, you know, the, the world has issues, yeah? And so if you make a film about racism or you make a film about poverty, I don't need a postcard, yeah? If you, if you like, basically give me a postcard that goes, hey, look, this is the world and there's racist people in it. Or this is the world and there's poor people and it's hard for them. I know that. Like, has to operate on another level um, as well. And I think that for me, with a lot of a lot of that kind of indie stuff sometimes, it can feel like it only operates on that one level. It's there just to pull you down. Um, yeah. Is that... Ha- Both of those films that have just been mentioned, actually, mm. though, um, are interesting for a fact that both feature non-actors in that community. So Sound of Metal is um, the ASL, American Sign Language. There's a lot of people in the film who are you know, yep. part of that community. And Nomadland, pretty much everyone bar maybe two characters are actual people who live... And you can kind of tell that, that, by the lifestyle. way. Yeah, but it makes it really authentic mm. whilst telling the story. And, and I think that sets those two apart as, yes, they're tough watches, but they're interesting because there's a documentary feel to the fact that it's mm. real. I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of mixed mixed views on that because you can tell that they weren't actors. So does that make it authentic or does it make it a documentary? It's a tricky one. I thought it grazed the line rather than, do you mm. know what I mean? But I, I didn't feel that it uh, I think Nomadland, it definitely didn't it. really detract from the story. But I think yeah, yeah. Uh, Son of Metal, it did a bit. I kind mm. of got annoyed by some of the characters because as you say you can tell 
Mm. You can tell, but but no, I, considering the pandemic and considering you know Oscars was a bit of a non-event, there were some good inspirational movies out there, and I still think back to Mads Mikkelsen dancing at the end of uh, end of that. Oh. I want to ask something about that because yes, I want Asan to watch that because it's the most joyful. I still not, still can't find year. it anywhere. My issue. Oh, I think. Go on. I think it's on Hulu. I think. I don't is, know how you get. Is there Hulu, a European Hulu that I can sign up to? I think so. Yeah. Okay. But but the thing with that is so last year Parasite won Best mm-hmm. Film, and it's obviously not in English language. So I want to know why another round wasn't put up for Best Film. Why was it in? Interesting. A language. Anyway, just a side thing. Sorry. <laughs> Carry on, Leon. Have you... Uh, no, no, that's about... I've finished Line of Duty and uh, we'll come <gasps> on to that. But no, I had a sort of movie feast and then I've been quite busy working and obviously uh, Manchester City and Champions League took up a few nights. A couple of nights. So yeah, that's me <laughs> done, really. <laughs> all right well i guess that just leaves me um i want to talk about podcasts because i like to talk about podcasts there is a podcast called counter clock so as in counterclockwise but take the wise off the end counter clock and the third season was dumped uh in my i uh, in my podcast app uh in one go 20 and i kind of looked at it and went Hmm, that's interesting. So, I have to go back to which day it was. I believe that it might have been Monday or Tuesday, or whenever it was. It might have even been last weekend. Anyway, I put the first episode on, because I'd liked the first um, two seasons, and I started listening. And it was one of those... I got about... Let me see... I got about seven or eight episodes in and they're quite bite-sized, right? And I'm not spoiling anything by saying it is the story of the massacre of a family, yeah? Except the oldest son is not there at the time of the massacre and the police subsequently arrest him and charge him with the murders of his mum, his dad and his three sisters. Now, it's one of those where there's a left turn and, whoa, when that left turn comes, I just went... It was one of those where I was listening to the podcast and I was, and I, I promise you that it kind of got to that episode where I was going, you know what, I might, I might give this a break after this episode because I've kind of got this far and I kind of, you know, I kind of know it. Like, I get it. Like, you know, oldest line, whatever, yeah? Oh my days. Oh my <laughs> days, right? And then the left turn comes and you're like, what? And then, like, I think the next 10 or 11 episodes, uh, one go, listen to them all in one go. Like, I was just like, Claire, I can't talk to you. I'm, I'm, I need to get to the end. I need to know where they go from here. It's, yeah, can't recommend it enough. Another annoying voiceover. No, she's. Um, I like her voice because it's one um, woman, and she she's narrated all three seasons. Yes, she's American, but it's not that kind of network. Hey, how are you? So careful. We have a lot of American listeners. Let's not. Uh, let's not. Uh, let's not. Let's not alienate any uh, 
any uh, continents or subcontinents. But in general, it's not that professional news reader voice oh, that good, can uh, that some that can sometimes. I look forward to that then. Yeah, so it's it's well worth checking out. And then the other pod that I discovered and I couldn't believe that I didn't know it was a, a podcast that foreign policy do called I Spy, and every week it is stories from real life spies who anonymously in their own words tell the story of either a mission or their career in espionage and counter espionage and uh, for anybody if you're into spies like I, i'm like like i'm a john le Carre fan from when i was a kid so i'm obsessed with spies and spy stories and i cannot get enough of that podcast it just it completely it, it satiates that kind of fascination that I have and I think to some extent that we all have with the things that go on behind the curtain, the things that we uh, that we don't know or that we don't see. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's really been my week. The only thing that I watched deeply was the thing which I presume we will discuss as the theme of the week right now and that would be line of duty are we ready we're ready Sick. mother of god we're mother ready. of god mother <laughs> of god okay i feel like i need that button to press so we can have that long beep yeah and then we can go straight into the interview so i'm gonna start with leon leon the finale of line of duty was to last weekend yes last weekend um did you watch the whole thing i did i did and i feel a bit bad for slugging it off last week because you know it has its place and it it pleased people there was some controversy over the ending which there always is on decent or very much very well watched tv shows but no i mean it wrapped everything up it was kind of random if i'm honest this guy suddenly appears in like the last three episodes and he's like Mr. Fixer or so it, it was satisfying the fact that they wrapped most things up I've talked about the last three seasons being disappointing anyway but overall fair play to Jed Mercurio fair play to the cast and you know they've, they've got a huge huge TV show there so you can only do nothing but respect it really that's my opinion really disappointing in fact that it wasn't any more complicated than you... It's hard to explain, actually, but... I don't know, I just... I, I wanted more, really, but... But okay. it is what it is. Okay. Debs? I think, for me, the longer the week's gone on, I like the fact that I'm still thinking about mm -hmm. it. Because my initial reaction was, oh, really? It was like a bit of a... Like, not like a pop of a balloon or something, but more of a deflating kind of mm. noise that a balloon, you know what I mean? It was like, oh. I felt, I've said this before about, you know, six episodes, don't stretch it out to eight, and this was randomly seven. And I felt like the seventh was quite rushed, almost like, oh my God, I've got so many loose ends to tie up, we better get them as much in as possible. And I agree, therefore, with Leon, it was quite random. There was a nice big twist in the middle of it, which was good. That kind of, you know, maybe the pace of it actually being rushed after I um, 
came away being disappointed thought I quite liked that actually I did like it was a bit frantic and maybe I, that was maybe what was lacking for me in the previous episodes I'm not sure um, I agree that that Thurwell or whatever he was called being brought in I don't know if that was a red herring or what oh James Nesbitt I know Asan yeah and even well it is but like Asan said as well you don't bring in a character late I don't even see it you know that's a photo well well same for oh no Gail Valley you did see Andy didn't you but anyway for me I think and me and Asan have actually spoken about this previously um about the fact that maybe some people were disappointed with who the big reveal was. And I don't know if hey has gone off and done some reading, reading and... Like a bloke who looks like he sold you a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I've now, because I was intrigued by that, thinking, oh, it's disappointing that it was him. Why would it, you know, doesn't make sense. And a lot of me and my friends were saying, oh, well, he's not H, he's just the fourth man, he's just another... Th-. Anyway, it turns out, no, he is H, and he is... He is and Jed Mercurio said it, apparently, and he's been on a podcast this week discussing how important it was that it had to be someone we'd met in season one. And indeed, oh, we did. We? Speaking to... Absolutely. Yeah, and in fact, he was on the golf course with uh, the caddy, even, and asked Doc Cotton if he could speak to Tommy Hunter in the back of a van or something wow. like that. And actually, when you look at that little moment, all that way back, and think, why would he be doing that? Then we have our answer right there. So I think that's very clever, because I was quite dismissive on Monday or Tuesday with Asa, and I said, feels like Jed Mercurio didn't know who it was, and just wrote it as he went along and went, oh, what about this guy? <laughs> but now I know that little nugget that I'd forgotten. I was like, ah, right there all the time under our nose and he even said to quote him as the writer that it played to his advantage to have it being somewhat of a bumbling idiot so he could almost you know create this ruse so it makes more sense to me now so having lived with it for a week i'm actually quite satisfied that's quite an about face i have to say Mm, yeah and I also feel like, you know, I'm quite happy that I'm going to ha- put my hand up and say, you know what, I'm not disappointed. It was a bit deflating, but it wasn't disappointing because what else could they have done? Because when you look at the alternatives, I don't want it to be Hastings, you know, and I've gone mental. Mm. <laughs> so in a way, where, where could you go with it? And I think that's when I settled down after and thought, yeah, there was still some unanswered questions for me, but, you know, that's, that's okay. Mm. So, yeah, I have come... Quite a not full circle, but I mean, how many times has Vicky McClure and Martin Cobb to say mate though? That's well, oh, too many, mate. too many, mate. too many. Uh, you guys, you guys, you guys, mate. you're really Jesus. not, you're really not fanboys and fangirls in the way that I find myself being of this show. So, like, yeah. I want to, I kind of want to talk about endings in general and then bring it back to the ending of Line of Duty. So here's my reflection on the immediate reaction to the end of the series. Somehow, when I hear you guys talking about feeling like you were disappointed and it was too simple, that's why I loved it, right? So I think that it's really difficult to write endings. And the reason it's really difficult to write endings is because somehow on some level 
I'm going to use the usual the usual suspect example, right? That effectively, that movie, yeah, was like a, it's almost like a benchmark in terms of plot twist, yeah, really. And I think that when you write a feature film in a closed world like that, it was two and a half hours. You can do that, yeah. You can really, you can play with those things, and you can have a a big reveal at the end that everybody's head just comes clean off their shoulders. You, I don't think you can do that with television. I think the, the television is as obviously it's a completely different medium to, to feature film, but I think that the storytelling happens at a completely different pace. And my sense and my feeling always with television is at the end, I just want it to make sense. I don't need you to, like, I was sat there going, if this is Hastings, I'm not having it, right? If they bring some rando in that I've never seen before and go, ta-da, here he is, not having it. For for me, Line of Duty could only have ended in the way in which Jed ended it. And what I mean by that is that it needed to end with H being somebody from the world that they've already created somebody who already exists within within the the scripts and the worlds of the characters and the seasons and the episodes and in terms of how you like the the judgment that came immediate in the immediate aftermath very simply was just hype yeah y'all spent and i'm talking outwards now at the general public if you spend four months driving yourself insane about a reveal you're never going to be satisfied it's like lost everybody was so obsessed with the ending of what what was the ending of lost going to be that in the end whatever the writers and i'm not saying that they did it right but whatever the writers are going to do it's not going to satisfy you like it's too it's too difficult too challenging because the audience is so broad that how are you ever going to find an ending that that pleases everybody so yeah i i was completely in love with 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 the ending because it it fit it fit like it really fit and it didn't give me i'll say one thing though deb's gonna be interesting to know what you both think i don't believe jeb when he says that he knew when he wrote the first season that that guy was h i'm not having that like i appreciate like, shit. i mean he wouldn't even I'm know writing, he's gonna make another season yeah, I'm writing a show at the moment and I know that I'm leaving uh, a tra- uh, some trails of breadcrumbs because I don't know where this ends, yeah? But what I know is where wherever it ends up ending, I'm going to need to be able to point back to the beginning and go, there's your trail of bread- breadcrumbs. So what I'm saying there is that Jeb did that with... Um, with that character in the first season i imagine over the six seasons there are other examples of other characters and other moments which if need be could have been h at the end and could then be pointed back to as a yeah definitely yeah i mean to be honest with you i think if there's 35 episodes roughly or 40 episodes over the six seasons to have a bloke in it for a minute in season one and he's h is bollocks really there needs to be more consistent than that, than that to me. I think I do think that 
there's an I do think that there's a lot of truth in what you say in the sense that I, I I believe Jed when he said it had to be somebody from the world that we'd already created and a character we'd already met previously and when you if you if you stick to that rule set then any sensible conversation you have in the rioters room you very quickly go all right who are the characters that we've that we've shown over the six seasons who can't it be because it'll piss the audience off so you you put lines through names but it's just, it feels just too random you watch shows like the shield which was like 80 yeah. odd episodes and from the episode one to episode 80 whatever that storyline is consistent and you follow it all the way but there isn't a reveal in that in the sense that from day dot you know more or less that those guys are absolutely corrupt. And it's just a, it's a journey through their experience as corrupt police officers. This is a very specific reveal. It's almost like a, it's a whodunit, yeah? But it's a, a whodunit on a grand scale because it's not one thing that they've done, it's many things that they've done. But shouldn't they have popped so, up in season three and four and five, not just a minute in one? Maybe he did, you know, and maybe he's just forgettable because I don't know if that was the only mm. moment that he I was I in. do agree I with I do agree I, I I do agree with Leon, but I think that it's one of those where the the, the I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to rationalize it from the writer's room point of view and what I'm saying to you is that I expect that there was only a small pool of options for who it could have been if they wanted it to remain within the world of the show, but at the same time, not annoy the audience with a kind of nonsense reveal. Because I, I keep coming back to this things that if it had been Hastings, I'd have turned it off and gone, I'm just not having that as an ending. Lads. Like that's not, you know, just, you have to give me, you have to give me something that makes me feel okay about it. And Hastings wouldn't have made me feel okay because it would have felt like the whole thing, the whole shtick from, from day dot was a con. And, and that's not... I know that audiences... I've read that as a rule somewhere that, you know, you can't mug your audience off. If you try and mug them off, they won't have it. And I think that doing the Hastings, or if it had been... You know, can you imagine if it had been Vicky McClure, for example? Oh. Yeah. I mean, there's this is mate, the thing when you cre mate. create a world like that, it can be anybody. Sorry, what were you gonna say? Did you just say I don't know if he's saying mate because she says yeah. mate, or he's trying to no, say mate to, to you? No, oh, okay, <laughs> mate, mate, mate. Can't be me. Can't be me. No, okay. Um, does anybody want to argue with what I've just said? No, I agree with what you just said. I think it's interesting, though. Um, I would want, I wonder if Jed went back and sat and had to watch his own work back to work out how he was going to go with it. No, you can live as many breadcrumbs <laughs> as you like, but he didn't know he's going to get six seasons out of this. Come on, it's a load of luck. No, I mean yeah. I'm okay. I'm 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 okay with that. But I think you're being a bit, you know, I think you're being a bit hungover on a Saturday morning. If I'm honestly on, I think that <laughs> I think that a a you in a you in a better mood might be a little bit kinder in terms of. You know, like it's limited. Where it's still, if they'd have brought, so for example, if they'd have pulled in a brand new character and said somebody you've never met before and said this is H, would you have been okay with that? No, no, you need, okay. you need the breadcrumbs. Right, I just think and one so, breadcrumb in six seasons is not enough, but it's fine. Right, listen, I respect Jed and I respect the show, and I'm, you know, it's nice to have something to talk about in terms of TV land. You know, 
Well, so, I was gonna. This was gonna I, be I my. Respect that. I, this was this was going to be my how to widen this conversation was actually to go. You know what I'm intrigued by? I'm intrigued by the level of intrigue that Line of Duty has managed to generate. The uh, the amount of conversation that it's managed to generate. And the question I've got is, how did this show end up becoming this popular? We'll go. Let's. I'll start with you, Deb. So. How lovable are the characters and how much is that the, the root of what makes the show um, successful in your eyes? Well, I, I was late to the line of duty party because I think I started watching it, well, late on and then went backwards. So I started, I saw one and two. What was this one? I don't even know Six. what number we're on. Okay, so I did one, two, three last year. Mm -hmm. Because I think I must have started at four. Yeah. So I was a bit late. And it, to be fair, I can't lie, one of the reasons I did start watching it was because everybody was talking about it. But yeah, this series feels like it's surpassed even any previous ones. Like it's all anybody was talking about. And I did wonder if it is because, like you say, it's a final kind of mystery of a, you know, who's it going to be, who done it type thing. But for me, I do think the characters are important the three main characters. Mm. And I do like the idea that obviously each series would get a new high profile name usually coming in, playing, you know, whatever. And I just feel that I do kind of care about the three of them actually. And we've said this before, if I don't care about the characters, then I'm probably not that interested in the story. Where this series, I didn't care much for the story but I still cared about the characters. Mm. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that people like, you know, because, of course, we take the mickey out of it as mm. well. You know, there's me sitting playing bingo every week and everybody laughing at all the acronyms going, what the hell is going on? Nobody's got a clue half the time. But still, people are on the edge of the seats saying, oh, my God, it's like, mm. you know, what's happening? And I think that there is just that. I think when it feels like everybody's in on it as well, Maybe there's an element of that. Do you know what I mean? It's not like some exclusive club. There's 11 million people who are tuning in every week. And again, it's not a binge watch if you're tuning in every week waiting to see what mm. happens. And that's something that we said with The Undoing. That was happening where it's quite nice to have to wait. And maybe that's had an impact. And maybe the pandemic, you know, maybe having a year at home. <laughs> maybe well, we were just ready for... People love touch points, don't they? People love something to talk about. I mean, yeah. Paul Church was very successful... In the same way, really. Mm. And we talked. They're almost standalone, but kind of it helps to watch the backstory of each one because, as we've discovered, <laughs> you haven't seen series one. You're probably going to go, "Who the hell is that?" But yeah, so I um I overall I've I've enjoyed it, but I, I agree with what Leon said like last week that it is sort of a guilty pleasure. Really, it's not. And it wasn't that in the beginning. The first three or four seasons, it wasn't a guilty pleasure. It was like quite a cutting edge. Police mm. drama. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I'm going to go a different route with this. I think it's popular because of the writing. I don't think it's about who they are at all. I think the genius is in um, Jed taking a format that you don't often see on British television, something that is actually incredibly American, um, and finding a way to make it work on British television and to kind of give it a bit more detail what I mean is I never watched the show 
a British show that is as hooky as Line of Duty is. And what I mean by hooky is not Peter Hawk. I mean, um, like, it's all plots. Line of Duty is basically a show. Every episode operates at 100 miles an hour. It does not... It doesn't give you the opportunity to think too much. It doesn't give you the opportunity to settle on anything. It An episode opens... And you feel as though you've travelled a, a year inside of that episode because the number of things that happen and the number of turns that it takes you on. Leon, so I defy you or Debs to give me an example of a show that operates on the same level as Line of Duty in, on British television. And that is to say that it's that hooky, that plot-driven, that thrilling edge of your seat. There isn't one. No, it's unique. Okay. It's unique in 2021 as a show, for sure. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of maybe The Unforgiven, but it's not quite right. Not The Unforgiven. What's it called, that thing we like? The Unforgotten. Oh, no, The Unforgotten. Unforgotten. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's far classier for me, and that's ITV. That's the, that's the weird thing. Okay. Anything come close to it, you feel, in terms of plot, in terms of having that kind of... Almost every episode twist and turn. Well, I think Unforgotten, like Deb said, is kind of similar. But okay. I think it works better in terms of storyline and the characters. You know more That's about interesting. Them. I don't think you felt you didn't know much about Martin Compson's character or Vicky McClure's character or Eight. Yeah. Or, or uh, Hastings. We barely saw them at home. Yeah, it's completely framed through the through the through their work and and plot. So you feel the un- we did last time though, and that's what's kind of maybe what I was disappointed with because we did in previous episodes. You know, we we saw how Vicky's relationship broke down and how she wanted to see a kid, and we saw how Hastings' marriage broke down. He was living in a travel lodge. You know, we saw the, the painkiller thing at the beginning. Of, well, we st- I did at the beginning. There was like a little nod to each of those things and then they stayed well clear of it. And I didn't know whether that was down to locations and COVID and, you know, keeping it simple. I don't know. Maybe that kind of changed the way it had to be Mm. written. But I did feel like we saw more of that previously than we did in this one. Even even with the Corbett thing with, um, you know, with um, Mr. Waistcoat going round to the uh, having a cuddle. Even that, yeah, there was like a tiny bit of a glimpse but then yeah they don't give too much of that even with like joe davidson where i said to you last week leon i said oh you'll find out more about <laughs> you'll find out more oh by the way can i just say that witness protection looks really good i'm down for that <laughs> that house what sorry <laughs> that country then, life you know cover. they didn't do the nice oh, yeah. they do the nice yeah they do the nice wrap up at the end showing you what happened yeah, yeah, that was, which that i really was like by the way that was that wasn't very it british was, but i like it no no, the, but I like the fact he does that at the end of every episode because it is a bit like just in case you want to know, here's what it's it's that's another USP I guess which makes you feel like they're real. Yeah, absolutely. You know they don't just end; they go right and this is what happened to them. And I like that. Except that house was a bit fancy that they put Joe in. I was like, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. No, I mean I, I think. <laughs> I'm, uh, as the week, I, I liked it when it ended, and actually as the week has gone on, I've I've grown to really love it, because I feel that, you know, 
generally it works the other way for me that you generally that somebody will do a big ending and i'll be like oh that was cool and then you think about it and two days later you're like actually no that was rubbish whereas with this mm. it's been like the i liked it to begin with and i've just the my my satisfaction has just grown as the uh as the week has gone on and i do i actually do think that probably the most important thing is the the point that i just made that there's nothing else like it on British television. You've got nothing to compare it to. Like, you know, it's it's really it's weird that it's such a unique show for English television because the th- the the characteristics are naturally uh, mainstream and popular and would naturally bring in a big audience. So I'm surprised that more people haven't attempted to uh, to to do a show like this maybe one of us should write a show like that maybe did i tell you that um last year there was a group of um consultants who work closely with they are actual ex-policemen and they work with writers on big shows to give them the authenticity and to say oh that wouldn't happen this would happen and one of the audience members said you know which shows do it well and which do it badly and he said that the worst culprit was line of duty well i'm going to tell you something then that you can yeah. stick in your pipe and smoke and <laughs> um so i've been doing a lot of reading uh for another project and i came across a very similar conversation and it was a police officer talking about the difference between prime suspect and cracker remember the two? Oh, i loved that right so get ready for this so the police officer said that even though prime suspect on the face of it had captured the procedures that police go through in a more realistic fashion its depiction of the people themselves was rubbish whereas cracker even though from a story point of view in terms of how the police operate was massively unrealistic the relationships and the drawings of the characters and the police and the relationship between the police amongst themselves and between the police and those that they were chasing was far more realistic and far more interesting than prime suspect and of the two she would always lean uh, always recommend cracker over prime suspect and this whole research that i did was because i wanted to know what's more important to get the acronyms right and to get the procedures right or to like thrill but try and you know like what's what's what does the professional police officer want to see on the screen do they want to see procedures followed correctly or do they want to see cops drawn in a realistic fashion and i think that's what i got to is they want cops drawn uh, as in a realistic fashion in terms of as human beings rather than the procedures make sense mm. yeah excellent um i'm gonna wrap this up unless somebody wants to say something just what you said before about you know the satisfying endings or the disappointing mm. endings i think it's and it's um, interesting to me. I, I think it's definitely something that I almost want to explore separately because I think that actually what, what would be interesting would be to look at different genres, how they deal with endings, 
and which genre does it best if that makes sense i think definitely the genre but the reason i find it interesting is the film script that we worked on a few years ago if you remember we had a an ending which was kind of cliffhanger ending and i remember one day you said to me do you know what happens next and i said yeah but i didn't want to say because that you know a bit like it's deciphering song lyrics. Yeah. It's sometimes better to have your own interpretation of what you want to happen. Which again, going back to Line of Duty, I like the fact they tell us what happens next. Because my cousin, God love her, when we were kids, we'd watch a film and the credits would roll and she'd go, well, where's he going now? And we're like, no, it's finished. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's like how it leaves you feeling of wanting to, do you want to know more or are you happy? And with, you know, and yeah, I just... I think it's um, quite interesting how you write them and how you receive We're them. going to pick this up at the top next week. Okie dokie. Hey, have we got any homework? Um, what well, I've got homework. I'm going to watch... Uh, I'm going to try and watch at least the first season of The Unforgotten before next, uh, before next week because you guys have both raved about it so much that I'm annoyed that, um, that I haven't watched it. So, actually... Um, and also Claire's leaving tomorrow, she's going back to Paris, so I'm going to be alone, so I'm going to have a lot more time to watch and listen to stuff. So I think The Unforgotten is what I'm going to get into. Okay, cool. Um, anybody want to give me some other homework? don't think so, because I still think it's probably too early to try and turn you on to watching It's a Sin, isn't it? We'll, we'll wait. Yeah, maybe it's a bit... <laughs> oh, but we can't, we can't end before Leon says something about Sopranos. No, oh, yeah. I'm Anything. Sopranos mute this week. Uh... I've been listening <gasps> to the go. podcast, but episode 59 now, they're, they're well on the way. Wow. I'm well, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little Sopranos, mind your toes, except I'm not going to drop them in. Have either of you, have either of you watched Sons of Sam on um, Netflix? No, I'm watching Sons it today. Because I was going to say it's got your names written all over it, quite frankly. Yeah, no, I'm so, into it this afternoon. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. What is I Sons might, of I Sam? One, I might watch that. Well, there, it's a crime, real-life crime documentary. Oh, my God, it's about David Bickwitz. Oh, my afternoon is sorted. Thanks for that, Debs. Okay, well, there you go. Homework for next week. Let's at least have watched the Let's first do that, yeah. episode of that. Yeah. Splendid, Excellent. splendid, splendid. Right, listen, my co-hosts, my cohorts, Miss Deb Wilde, Deborah Wilde. Can I call you Deborah Wilde? Thank you. Yeah, love it. Um, thank you very thank much. You. Mr. Leon Butler. A pleasure as always. Thank you very much, sir. He's coming no back. Problem. I'm sorry Hang about on. that. No, I didn't mean to. He's a back. He's back. Don't worry. You missed your big. Mr. Leon Butler. Big, uh, Mr. Leon Butler. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Great to talk. Absolutely. To everybody who listened, it was lucky number episode twenty-three. We think it might have been okay. Remember, if you like what we did, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Send a tweet, all of that business. Do our promo for us. Have a lovely weekend. Have a lovely week wherever you are. We'll be back next week.